And I've asked a, a few people to represent a, sort of a, some different parts of the venture world, infrastructure slash venture. And there's someone else. I, I will find you, Jeannie. Yes. Jeannie came to our London conference. I was like, can you just jump on that panel? It's like she did such a great job. And she just arrived again. Here she is. Welcome. Yeah, I'm gonna, we're going to pass the mic around. So if you, each of you could just introduce yourselves and, and how you come at it. But I want Jeannie to go last. So Max, once you are. But I met many of you at this point. Uh, but I'm Max Rodman. I work for the Mayerson Family Office in Cincinnati, Ohio. Family is primarily a real estate family. And one family member is Fred Mayerson. It's the founding partner at Maywick Select Investments. Maywick is a consumer-focused venture fund investing across seed to feed. Um, and uh, I also focus on, so anything that comes across a venture fund that's not a fit for the venture fund that we find compelling, I'll leave that through the family office. Um, and that can be investing in funds, buyouts, uh, later stage venture deals, anything non-real estate we can focus on. Nice to meet everyone. Um, wonderful to be at my first 361 event. I'm Lindsay Taylor. I'm the founder and CEO of a new infrastructure fund called Endra, uh, which invests at the intersection of infrastructure and technology. So think about clean energy, mobility, as well as broadband for uh, smaller communities that typically are overlooked and underinvested but have tremendous opportunity. Uh, we're investing in both companies and assets. I'll talk about that a little bit more later, but. Prior to launching this fund, I was at a $25 billion global asset manager uh, called Meridian in New York. Had the opportunity to close multiple multi-billion dollar opportunities, about $7 billion worth in the sectors that we're talking about, leading teams of contractors, operators, financiers, investing equity as well as raising debt uh, for projects over anywhere from a 10 to 30 year term. Um, also prior to that, um, building on uh, my educational experience at Stanford and also was a former professional athlete, um, had the opportunity to play in Europe as well as here in the States, um, have been building teams my whole life and now my venture is building an infrastructure fund. Just speaking before, but Kevin Shea, founder of the Sun Alpha, a long short firm based up in Boston. So my name is Jeannie Stein, and uh, we are a family office, and uh, we invest in uh, startups, companies, and NBC firms. And this is like 20-30% of our investments, so we invest a lot in VC firms, and I think that's why I'm here, because we are based, and I'm based in Silicon Valley, so I live there and uh, operate from there. So I'm like the Silicon Valley AI expert, in case you have any question about AI or Silicon Valley. The one question is, in your perspective, what scares and excites you the most? Scares and or excites you the most? You can start. What excites me the most? So return on that. Investing-wise, yes. Yeah, return on investment. If I like do 10x, I am very excited. 
so this is the, what excites me. So now how to find where to invest to get the highest return is the, it's very exciting. So I try to find out where can you invest to get the most of your money. So in the, in the area, technologies area or other areas, where is the future going? Where, what are the trends? That would excite me. And in addition to that is to invest in things that are good for our planet Earth and good for humanity. So anything that if you are investing in area like cancer research and you are able to cure cancer or area where we can help the climate or we can help the protect the ocean, I am also very, very excited about it. Echoes are the last part, at least in terms of what I'm passionate about. Um, and I'll start maybe with the negative. And, you know, it's exciting to be in a room full of, of family office investors, right? I don't think it's necessarily the, the prominent topic, but the asset class of infrastructure is an incredible asset class to be allocating to right now, uh, especially if you think in a negative sense, you know, are, are we in a down market recession? Um, what's happening with inflation? Um, you have contracted opportunities uh, that can give you um, some certainty in cash flow over the long term. But if we look around at what's happening in the world right now, we see water crises in uh, Jackson, Mississippi. We see bridges crumbling. We see the hottest three days on record um, ever. Um, and there's an incredible opportunity with all these negative things happening around the infrastructure and climate space to really invest in the infrastructure. And for us as a fund, we really focus on smaller communities where the Black Rocks and other multi-billion dollar funds aren't focusing and where there's an incredible opportunity to drive impact as well as return um, and help negate some of these challenges that we're facing as a world today. Um, so I'll start with what scares me. Uh, some of you might have heard me say this already. I, I say it all the time, but um, you know, I like to say that similar to how we're already in a world where every company is essentially a tech-enabled company, we're rapidly approaching a world where every company is an AI-enabled company. And there's a massive opportunity there, of course, um, but it can also be viewed as a threat. So if that wasn't part of your mindset when you did a deal, um, there can be sort of an unknown for how the AI revolution will affect existing investments in the portfolio. Um, something that we're working with all of our companies on, but um, the massive change is really is really just um, a concern as well as an opportunity is the point. Um, what I'm excited about, you know, I think that Todd did a great job covering changes in the VC landscape. The IPO market, M&A markets have dried up, and you know that flows through top down from the late stage to the early stage investors. Um, his point being that earlier is better, and I, I fully agree with that. One thing I would add is that companies that are rapidly approaching profitability or have a plan to approach prof profitability in the near term are also attractive. And for us, we see that as an opportunity being in a consumer sector um, where that's much more easily achievable than it is you know, in other sectors where venture dollars are flowing into. So seeing that as an opportunity and, and very excited about it. Thank you. I'll start also with what concerns me. Um, I would say debt uh, globally concerns me a lot. Um, debt to GDP ratios at the uh, government level in most uh, economies, um, the top economies are over 100% now, and 
about 30 years ago, the concern used to be when uh, economies were, were over 70%. Um, so that concerns me a lot. Um, compared to the financial crisis, I think the consumer has done a much better job. They've actually refinanced, um, and the consumer is, is in a much better shape than they were um, in the last recession. Uh, so that's a, the plus on that side. Um, uh, I guess in the next two to four years, uh, as Todd mentioned before, with the sort of drying up of, of IPOs and, and venture um, funding, um, I think just in the last month or two, you know, our model has sort of shifted to growth. And so other panelists have talked about investing in AI uh, specifically or growth more broadly. I, I think this is a time to, to absolutely do that. Um, and to me, it's exciting because most strategists um, are looking at traditional metrics of, of the economy, and those are still um, pointing to a recession. Most people are calling for a hard landing. Is it going to be next quarter, the quarter after that? They get, keep pushing it out. And the data that we follow seems to indicate that the Fed actually is going to um, land this on a soft landing, and we're not going to be in a hard recession in the next couple of quarters. Well, I'd like to open it up so we get some this range of a group. Any questions, thoughts? Fusion? So you talked about. Uh, artificial intelligence and climate. Uh, so we're hearing a lot that AI will play a very big role in, uh, in climate change. Here's to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, so yeah, actually uh, AI, if you have, you take satellite information, uh, imaging, uh, you can from the image recognize many information about uh, climate areas and you can make sure to teach AI to learn how to save some area, how to change, how, where is CO2 very bad or good. So, uh, so you can find area, places with help of AI to support and help the planet. And that's much better than any human being information. Everything with images anything with images, information. AI is much, much better than a human being. Anything with data, AI is better than human being. Let me just tell you why. Uh, because if you teach AI, for example, for any subject, uh, I studied electrical and computer engineering and did a PhD work on it uh, in AI and computer vision. So I know a lot about imagery and images and, uh, and, and data. So data, usually, let's say with cancer research, a physician cannot tell sometimes if someone has cancer or not uh, as, as AI. In addition, same with the climate. Climate, if you want to know areas, how to make things better, which industry, which area, uh, AI can give you better solution and faster than any knowledgeable person. So here, we can use a lot of the AI for the positive uh, things like climate, like cancer research, like different things. Now, AI can do bad things because it can recognize human beings very quickly, can imitate something uh, very quickly with the images of human beings. So there will be like negative area in AI. But for climate, it's perfect.
So at the intersection of infrastructure, real estate certainly, and AI is, it's inevitable for sure, obviously, that many people, AI will shift and it will definitely kind of take on some human's role in the workforce. I'm super curious and have been thinking about it a lot. Where do you think and how will the economy be affected by that shift? And how will that, where will those people land, basically? And how is it going to affect the way that everyone's day-to-day lives or certain people who are in those white-collar jobs, um, are, where are they going to end up? It's a good question. Um, I don't have a super refined answer on that yet, and I think we're all refining our responses, but I think the reality is, is that, you know, infrastructure still is very, you know, capital intensive and labor intensive. Um, so there are always going to be jobs in that sphere. Um, I think AI will add enhancements from a data efficiency and, and, and digital perspective that maybe make some of these jobs easier um, to do, but I don't think, you know, it's going to replace jobs of, of people that actually have to build these infrastructure projects. I'll add to that um, from the perspective that it's not only individuals that are being replaced, but entire industries. I mean, if you're if you're running a sort of workflow automation company, uh, for example, you've got to be scared that your entire industry, certainly your company, could be wiped out overnight by you know, Microsoft product or whatever it is. Um, and we're talking really near term. I mean, some of these products are projected to launch in 2024 and be available to companies and consumers. So. Um, yeah, I'd say industries, and then obviously that trickles down to affect individuals as well. I would just add that I mean I think part of AI is is marketing. I mean I worked on my first neural network back in 2001, 22 years ago, and so it just wasn't called AI as commonly as it is today. So it was been a gradual change over time, and in the last couple of years, it certainly accelerated. No question about that in terms of its efficiency and and speed and able to take on more and more complex problems like weather. Um, uh, but it, it, and it is, a, it is a problem, I agree. I mean, I was just seeing the other day when people were working remotely during COVID, only 30 to 40% of people in the economy have a job that could be done remotely. And those are the ones that have benefited, tend to benefit more during COVID than other people. And this is just gonna accentuate, you know, essentially the haves and haves nots. And so that does, it's a big problem. It's going to need um, some serious thought about um, how to implement it in a fair and equitable way. Hey, um, following up on the whole AI conversation, I'm curious if you have a perspective on the danger to rule of law, right, being fully disintermediated by rule of technology. And, and I mean more so in the West than, than in China and other places where there's clearly more of a surveillance state or a, uh, a comfort, a reflect a better term, with technology first, or basic technology in the context of everyday life. Maybe that's a... So the danger is, for example, that a, an AI system can recognize a person and directly can recognize this person and can make that this person uh, be able to call 
like uh, the voice plus the, how they look in the video to call their mom and even sometimes the mom cannot recognize this is her son or not and ask for money. I mean, here it's really dangerous and all, getting all the information from the video cameras, wherever you are, then now the system, the government in all those places, they can recognize who is here, their names, their personality, they can manipulate many things through AI. For example, they can recognize anybody who's sitting in this area and then can recognize their personality, what they need, what are their weaknesses in seconds. And a person who's using that, uh, who has bad, uh, bad interest, a company who's using that with bad interest can manipulate, can get a lot of information and can manipulate. So there are everything that is bad, it is like 10 times more through AI or more. Uh, and so this is the thing about the bad thing. But before there were no internet and the internet was also da a danger where you had Google, you can search, you can find anybody information, any things about a person. That was something new. So people were really scared of Google and of the internet. But then they noticed there are bad things that happen, scam, somebody can see somebody uh, information or other things with, with the internet and similar with AI. The difference is the time. Uh, with AI, as we said, the time is very fast. But like next year might all those things happen. So it's not like you have to wait 20 years. So in one year we can get very, very bad things happening and very good things happening. So there are plenty of things that they can happen and we need to understand and learn to stop that before they happen. Uh, yeah. I just wanted to add one more thing. I mean, in some cases, AI isn't necessarily being used maliciously. So you can train an AI to drive a car and if the car sees a truck that stopped coming around a corner, it's okay, I'm gonna hit that car, I'm gonna steer off to the side, I'm gonna steer onto the sidewalk. You can train an AI system to train that car to do that very, very quickly, very efficiently. What happens if on the sidewalk there's a woman pushing her baby stroller? You can train the AI to, to, to do whatever you want, but there's these larger questions that need to be answered in terms of how you implement AI. It's not a malicious use. You're not reproducing someone's identity. It's like, how do you answer that question? Those are the questions that are going to be with us for a long time. So those who were in our Ohio event, Ohio is one of these two uh, research centers that basically all the, auto, the automotive industry is really loading into AI as well as autonomous driving. And that you go to these places and, and there are these cars, but they're camouflaged. You can't know if it's, you know, it rhymes with, uh, you know, they sort of hint to it. But it's some really interesting things. And a lot of times it, it really is the human error that causes the, the, the accident, as it turns out. Um, well, I asked Adrian, I'm going to do what I did in London. Uh, we're talking about AI. Why don't you just come up to this panel? Adrian Mendoza, you, you heard Senator earlier. I mean, I didn't realize this would be an AI panel, <laughs> but that was why you were brought in. So let's, let's let, let you join this way. So introduce yourself. And, and then maybe answer that some of this, you heard some, your perspective here in these questions on AI. I, I have a perspective. 
So I'm Adrian Mendoza, presented ourselves before we're an SFO that is uh, actually have been investing in AI since 2015. The reason Mark asked me to come up is I'm also a usual contributor on AI and venture capital for CNBC, the Boston Globe, and also American Banker. It, and it's funny because a lot of our questions are about job replacement and oh my God. Well, the reality, you know, even the example you said, in, you know, I'm fearful of AI in other countries. In the US, we don't have a digital identity database. There's no way for the AI to know that any of us are here because we don't have that infrastructure yet. I'll, uh, even the view on job replacement is, look, the majority of where AI is helping is we're actually replacing the majority of jobs. So perfect example, we see companies doing credit rating, cybersecurity, um, credit analysts. These are jobs that are currently unfulfilled that we may just come in and fulfill. But part of it as investors, we have to be careful that there is a lot of hype out there. You know, this is what in CNBC I refer to as we're AI hype cycle 2.0. You know, 2012, 2015, we had hype cycle 1.0, now we're on 2.0. And we're seeing everything from, uh, I had a, a, ideas of ridiculous decks I've seen with AI on it. The newest ridiculous deck I saw is the pizza deck. And it was literally pages and pages of pizzas, with pepperoni pizzas. And this company had raised money to use computer vision instead of finding bad guys to see how many pizzas are on the pizza pie. After you've seen five pages of pizzas, I'm like, oh God, this is just disgusting. It's like watching a dog eat spaghetti. And so after a certain point, I was like, look, this is just not investable for a fund. But you know what? You know, I was thinking about recently, I just talked to multiple family offices in Texas that are buying multiple cash flow businesses, you know, 100, 200 Wendy's, McDonald's. In a local environment like that, where a family office needs to actually really like optimize, the pizza of a company might actually be a pretty good investment if you actually have a direct application into what you're doing. And so right now the worry with AI is what we saw in Hype Cycle 1.0, a lot of talk about it. But the data sets that are needed to do this, the data sets that are needed for identified bad guys, a lot of them are non-existent. So the perfect example, I have two things that I wanna leave you guys with. The first one is, uh, I know a data scientist that someone ran up there and said, hey, I'm gonna raise money, I'm gonna create an algorithm to predict near you know, runway occurrences of plane collisions on Logan Airport. And they said, great, I wanna see the data, how many you know, near misses have happened in Logan Airport? And they said, well, none, but I wanna predict it. And they're like, without a data set, you can't predict anything that's never happened before. And so when we look at data, data in the past is analytics. Data in the present is reporting. We need first one, second one, to then be able to create data in the future, which is prediction. So as you're, absolutely. She's like, yes, go on, brother. Yeah. So as you're looking at due diligence for opportunities, as families, we're getting a lot of decks. As funds, we're getting even more decks. 
ask these questions. Tell me about your data in the past. Tell me what is your sample size. Tell, you know, in order to be statistical significance, you have to have 10,000 data points for each data point. If you don't have that, there's no statistical significance. So you've got to ask that hard question about where's your data, do you own it? So that you guys, there's so much hype about ChatGPT. ChatGPT 4.0 is being rolled back to 3 to 3.5 because they actually took a data set that they didn't have access to. And now we're also seeing uh, my new, a couple of court cases are coming out of it because lawyers started using ChatGPT to write briefs, but because they were using garbage data from the internet, it started creating citations for references that didn't exist. And I'm like, wait, wait a minute, you literally was making up citations to fulfill that case. And so now the idea of data integrity and what we're really looking at about the next frontier that we're getting in infrastructure, that we're getting in climate is, especially these crowd here that are investing in infrastructure, they're sitting on mountains and mountains of data. How can I write generative AI for my mountain of data? That's the next frontier. I'll open it up for questions. We got a question from Pierre Dupont. Another AI angle here. <laughs> just, just want to refocus you a little bit from the investment opportunities that AI represents and all those sort of things into, what do you think the impact is on the operations and the future of family offices and how they operate today from AI outside of in great investment returns and so on? Does, does AI change the way family offices will operate in the future? I mean, I'm happy to jump in and then I'll pass the references. You know, I think, one of the hardest things, and I see this in the last 20 years, um, every 20 years, every year in the past 20 years, I see a fund, a manager that says, hey, I'm gonna create an algorithm to use AI for investment decisions. And uh, you know what that AI is gonna tell you? Two things, one, don't do it, it's too risky. And the second one is, oh, uh, if the sample size is all white men that went to Stanford, it's gonna say, invest in, old white men that went to Stanford. But you brought up a good point about the opernization, and we're starting to see a couple of interesting companies that emerge in the first AI hype cycle. A perfect example, Botkeeper out of Boston. They literally wrote a bunch of algorithms to do the thing that we hate doing in families, which is like tasking expenses. That's it, stupid thing, they're doing fantastic. And so we're gonna start seeing these small little algorithms that become extensions of current companies. You know, Intuit's already doing it. You know, most of our CPAs are already doing it. We're not even gonna know that it exists, but that can help us. I think the key here is, I think there's going to be like the pizza example and the family that has the 200, you know, Wendy's. Finding opportunities that allow you, while you're doing your investment selection process, where you're able to get first rights as a customer, you're able to get perpetual licenses to then help you operationalize either the family office or your own portfolio. And so that you guys know, the credit unions are already doing things like this. They've built 
um, things called CUSOs, and they're investing like families. They're actually going in, they're collecting 10, 15, 20 credit unions, and then they're going to a startup or a fund and say, hey, I'd like to invest in you, but we're gonna negotiate against 10 to 20 of us for software access, and we also want a good deal, and then we also wanna aggregate and invest as, as a whole. And I think that's where we're also starting to see families build syndicates now. Instead of going the MFO route, is to build a syndicate where they're now operationalizing themselves. Anyone else want to answer that question? No one wants to touch it. Well, let me just, we're going to take a break. I'm audibling at this right now. We're going to take like a five, 10 minute break. And then we're going to start off with Consuelo uh, Vanderbilt because she really deserves to be on two panels. And it's going to morph into our impact planting panel. But to answer your question, Pierre, where's Pierre? So Deepika Sharma, in Naples, lover of pickleball, manager of 470 billion. She does fund manager selection, and she was the first to tell us that she was using ChatGPT to look at 200 managers. So you, it sort of, you, you didn't want to hear that answer, but it is going to be useful in the investment process. But that's why I always want institutional investors in, in the room so that they can teach us what they're doing. This was early, this is January. And she would be here, but she's in Chicago. Because I just mentioned pickleball and she runs, she comes. Uh, by the way, next to her is Anna Arceau. We talked earlier today about debt. There's this avalanche of, of refinancings. She, she leads Moody's credit. Uh, and. So I love that we're going to, by the way, I'm plugging Pickleball Naples, January uh, for the future, but let's all just take a, take a little break. We don't take as many breaks in 61 events like we should, because I just want to cram it all in. But we'll come back. Um, we'll have our last panel. Then we'll do our breakouts, uh, which we'll explain to you how those work, the 360 breakouts. But thank you to our panelists. Appreciate it. We'll see everybody here in about five, ten minutes.